Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This summer, we are back in the book of Psalms. John Calvin rather famously wrote that the Psalms are an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. The Psalms sing high joys for salvation and the beauty of this world, and yet meet us in the low places as we cry out for justice and weep over the sorrowful state of this world. All of life, absolutely all of it, is invited to be laid before our Lord in the Psalms, these prayers and songs to God. So we'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and God bless. Part of my work in working with international students is just meeting all different kinds. We have people that are engineers. We have people that are, um, you know, in biology. We have people that are in archaeology. We have people that are just all over the place. Uh, my second year at Penn State, I met some what I would consider unusual internationals. At least back then I thought they were unusual. Um, we, um, uh, we invited some people to our picnic at the beginning of the year. And these two people showed up, to a man and a woman. And they told me that they were conductors in the symphony orchestra. They were there to get a master's in conducting. Well, I know nothing about symphony orchestras, not a thing. And uh, they came to our picnic, uh, they learned about our Bible study, and the first Bible study, they came to it. And then the next week, they brought two more international musicians, a guy that played the bass and a guy that played the viola. I did not know what a viola was. Don't judge me, okay? So, um, and so the next week, they brought two more, then two more, and eventually we had 12 internationals coming to our Bible studies, all from different countries around the world. One was the foremost violinist from the uh, uh, country of Kazakhstan. Amazing thing. I never would ever in my dreams know someone like that. And uh, we just had a great time. And they, they invited us to their first concert. And when I got there, they get, of course, they give you a program. And in the program, it lists all the names other people and and on top of all the names there is a bold uh, printed name who is the principal of that section like you know the first violin second violins you know things like that they're principals and as I was reading our our um, our, our bulletin um, I realized I said wait a second we had every single principal in the orchestra came to our Bible study they were all the international it was an amazing thing, and they, they play amazing music, and, and I just love to sit down and listen to them. And I, I have to admit, I'm not very musical. You know, even uh, my last church, the first time I preached there, and they left my microphone on when I, we sang. From then on, they cut it off. And so, uh, <laughs> and so, but I learned so much from them. And today, as we begin to look at our scripture, I want you to think about what an orchestra is like, what a chorus is like, and what is, 
and how we are God's orchestra. We are God's chorus when it comes to the gospel. So let's, let's go ahead and dig in this morning. Let's look at our first couple of verses. Uh, we'll be in Psalm 96. It was, it's in the bulletin there. We read it this morning. Um, it says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. You see, we're the sing the good news of Jesus, guys. That's part of what we are called to do, to sing the good news of Jesus. You know, singing by its nature comes with the heart. Uh, when do you sing? You sing when your heart is full, that's overflowing, that's joyful. But you also sing when you're sad, too. Uh, I remember um, my last church before I moved up here. I was there 15 years. And I used to joke with the people in the church because they cut my microphone off uh, while I sang. I, I joke with them that the last Sunday I was there, I would sing a solo. And lo and behold, they remembered me saying that. And they held, held, me, held my feet to the fire until I did that. So that Sunday, I, I got up and I sang a solo. It took me three weeks of practice to get the solo down. And, um, and I, I thought, it's over with. I'll never see that song again. I'm happy. But unbeknownst to me, my teenage daughter filmed it and put it on my Facebook account. So, uh, so they saw both mis a mixture of joy and sadness in me leaving that church, but also of relief. I'll never have to do that again. I will not say that again any anymore anyway. So, but, you know, we sing when we're joyful and we're sad. You know, the Psalms are God's book of songs. It's filled with the emotions of his people, directed by the Holy Spirit. The psalmist calls us to sing a new song. And what is that new song? I believe it's pointing to salvation. It's pointing to the gospel. Pointing to Jesus. That's the new song that we need to sing. The song is the song of God's salvation. God has given each one of us a new heart. And we are a new creation. We sing out because of our new, new position with the king of the universe. And note this, the psalm is to be sung to what? All the earth. That's what I do at Penn State. I sing, I speak the gospel to people from all over the world. From little countries like Mauritius. Who, does, who knows where Mauritius is? All right, one person. That's, more, that's one more than most people know. It's a little tiny island in the, in the Indian Ocean. We have a student from there, matter of fact, from Mauritius. He's getting his Ph.D. in, in, uh, um, in engineering. So all the, way, all the way up to uh, countries like China, who we have about 2,500, and India, when we have about almost that same number now. So we have all these people coming, and we're singing the gospel to them. You see, you know, it's, you, you ever know anybody that refuses to sing? I had, I had a guy in the church one, that he just wouldn't sing. He would get up. He, would sit, he always sat in the back of the, of, the, of the congregation. And I asked him one day, why don't you sing? He said, well, uh, if you heard me sing, you'd know why. And I said, well, the people, there's so many people around you, and it, it, our church was pretty full, and, 
And I said, nobody even hears you, but God hears you. So sing unto God. To sing unto him. And that's what we're called to do as God's people. To sing unto the Lord, but also to present, declare, sing the gospel to the people around us. Uh, you know, you may not know that, but you're, you're, you are put in your place by the Lord. He puts you in your place to be in your sphere of influence, to show the gospel, to embody the gospel, to speak the gospel, and yea, sing the gospel to the people around you. And, it, it, and, you know, the gospel cannot stay in this church. It's great to have fellowship on Sunday morning or whenever else you do. It's great to be among God's people, to rejoice. But the gospel is needed out there, out in the marketplace. You know, Dr. Francis Schaeffer uh, once talked about cold and, and hot communication. Uh, cold communication is you, uh, you show a commercial and you show anything else than what you're talking about. You know, if you're talking about cars, you show a waterfall. If you talk about uh, Coca-Cola, you show a bunch of people singing about the world and stuff like that. And, and the sort of cold communication, you don't ever talk about the subject, but you tried to relate it to other things. But Dr. Schaefer talked, uh, taught us that we have to have hot communication. Hot communication is where if you're going to sell a car, you talk about the car, and that's all you talk about. You talk about how great it is, how fast it'll go, what kind of gas miles you get, what kind of engine it has, what, you know, what it'll do performance-wise. And so we are called as people to tell the world about our Lord Jesus about the gospel. That's what we need to present to them. That's what we're to sing to them. So first of all, we sing the good news to our king. We sing him because we praise him, but we also take that praise and the gospel out of these doors into the world around us. It's the world that needs Jesus. It's the world, it's the music of Jesus. That's what the gospel is, guys. That's what the gospel is. Uh, but secondly, we're to declare the good news to a world filled with idols. Look with me further, uh, verse 4 through 6. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. To be, he is to be feared among all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens, and splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Uh, what are idols? First of all, idols, and, and that... I've got these definitions from somewhere. You ever get a great quote and can't remember where it came from? Well, I got this, and I cannot remember where it came from. So just, just as a caveat, I'm not trying to plagiarize anyone. If, if you know where it's from, you tell me. So, okay. All right. First of all, the, uh, idols are images that are made by man. The examples are gods of Egypt, Romans, uh, Greeks, and everything. And I remember one time I was talking about this, and a guy raised his hand. He said, oh, people don't worship idols anymore. And I said, have you ever met a Hindu before? you know how many Hindus are in the world? 1.3 billion. 1.3 billion. And they're all idol worshipers. And they all have about a million gods. I'm not joking about it. Okay? They are all worshiping idols. Uh, and one, one caveat to that is this, that you will, uh, 
would like to know. Last week, there was a change in the, the populous country in the world. India now is the most populous country in the world. China has followed the second. Because China's population is going down, and India's going up. So most populated country in the world are populated a billion of those people idol worshippers. So that still exists here. One of my first students was from Nepal, and Nepal has about 25 million uh, Hindus. And his name was Bigram. And Bigram uh, came over to the United States. He landed at JFK here. And Bigram was hungry. He just got off the plane. They didn't feed him on the plane for some odd reason. And so he's looking at JFK. He walks up to one of these shops, these restaurants. And he looks up and he says, he's hamburger, 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 hamburger. And Bigum thought to himself, you know, my sect of Hinduism allows us to eat pork. So I'm going to order hamburgers. Because to his mind, what, if you call something hamburger, what should it have in it? Ham. So he ordered. So the first two weeks in America, guess what he does? Every day he eats hamburgers because he loves it. All right, what's the one animal that Muslims are not allowed to eat? Cow. Beef. No beef, ever. They worship them. Okay? So uh, I, I, I met Bigram. We went out to eat. We went to this, this restaurant. We sat down. And Bigram orders a hamburger. And I know what's in the hamburger. And I looked at Bigram and I said, Bigram, uh, you ordered a hamburger. Why is that? He said, oh, it's the, it's the greatest thing I've ever tasted. It's ham. It's, it's good American food. And I said, Bigram, uh, I hate to tell you this, but that hamburger doesn't have uh, any ham in it. He sort of looks at me and he says, what? He said, it's all beef. And his face just fell almost to the floor. Uh, you know, he, he told me later he had to order some special water from Nepal to cleanse himself with after eating all this, this uh, cow since he'd been in America and everything. But he, later that day, he took me to his house, and we went upstairs, and we walked into his room, and there in the corner of the room was a, a table, uh, uh, and much like we have here, and in the middle of the table was an idol. And Bigram brought me up to the, to the idol and said, this is my God. And I went, you know, and it's one of my first time I've been with the Hindu, and I, I didn't want to say. I just sort of acknowledged hello or whatever, and, and we, we went on down the road. But later on, I, I talked to him about idols and idols that are made by man's hands and how they're, they're not even spiritual, they're nothing, but what, what the idol's made out of. So there are plenty of people in this world that still worship idols. But there are other idols, and this is the idols of the heart. An idol also is a, per, a thing or a person that you hope will give your life meaning, purpose, acceptance, approval, or satisfaction. This idol is the center of your life. <clears throat> A God is something or someone you live by. It is a false hope. False hopes deceive you. Good things like intelligence, culture, family, friends, 
or, or any kind of material thing can be idols, things that are valuable gifts from God, but are worthless idols, false gods. You see, we live in a culture in America where we have these false gods. They're also called idols of the heart. Idols of the heart is what we have in America. Uh, and, and, you know, when these internationals come over, we teach them about that. We teach them to, to, to follow the almighty dollar. And we teach them those idols of the heart that we have here in America. John Calvin. Now, if you ever want to get, get a Presbyterian's uh, attention, mention John Calvin. People on the back row who are sleeping will wake up. They'll lean over because they're here. They're here to, to hear some good news. John Calvin said this, that our hearts are idle factories. That's what we call we call these things idols of the heart. They're the things we hide in our hearts that we think will give us significance, but we really give us nothing. They try. We put them in the place of Jesus, guys. We put them in the place of Jesus in our lives. But we are to declare that the kingship of the Lord Jesus over those idols in this world. We're to tell the works of the uh, to the nations and, and call upon them to, to put their idols aside, just like I did with my friend Bigram. Because God is active in this world and working in this world. That idol will not bring you significance. I, I, know, I know men who sometimes they'll, they'll gather cars up because they collect cars. They love cars to the point they love their cars more than their wives. And, and I told one, one time, and he said, I, I think I want to be buried in my car. And, and I said, well, I'm sure they'll do that if you buy enough to take a flood, but what a shame for the car. And he said, what are you talking about? He said, you're going to be gone. And because you love that thing so much, you will not be with our Lord. And he sat down and he thought about that and thought about it and thought about it. And he said, I think you're right. Start selling his cars off. So, so there are idols of the heart that we have to help people understand that they're to leave those behind. It says also here that um, splendor and majesty are before him and strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. You know, we, we, we can point people, when we want to talk about the gospel, to the beauty of God's creation. Uh, my first year at Penn State, I got to know three Chinese who were all Ph.D. astronomers and never met an astronomer in my life. And they were great to me. They used to call me up at 1 o'clock in the morning. And they'll say, Richard, come up with us. We had the telescope for the night. And we go up to the telescope on top of one of the buildings. It's looking out. And I, that, I would get up there sometimes by 1.30 or so. And we'd go in there and we start looking. And they said, oh, we want to show you galaxies tonight. And so they position the, the telescope where it will show me a galaxy. And it's, it's amazing to see that beauty of God's creation. And I use that a lot with them to, to talk to them about God and talking about how, uh, how God created all this. He created all this. But we are to declare the good news to a world that's in darkness. We're to show the world the claims of Jesus and the work of Jesus in our lives. You know, when I talk about 
people being instruments of God in a great orchestra, which is called the church, you know, you, you have a place to play. Now, I have, uh, when I was younger, I was a youth director. And what's one of the things youth directors have to do? Does anybody know? They got to sing. What else? They got to play the guitar. You know, because everybody, every youth director I knew when I was in that line of business could play the guitar, except me. And I decided, I called a friend of mine who was a great guitarist, and I said, listen, I want to learn to play guitar. He said, sure. So he gave me one. I practiced. I worked. About three months, he looked at me and said, you don't want to play the guitar. And he said, Richard, you have what we call biblical hands. The right does not, know, does not know what the left is doing. So, I, you know, I gave it up. But yet God has called me in this great symphony that's his gospel, that's his church, and I can sing and play the music of the gospel to the world. And I do it every day at Penn State. Every day. You are God's instruments of decoration. You're the symphony, the chorus, that plays the gospel to the people around you. And everyone needs to join. Everyone needs to join. You may not be able to play an instrument, but you can sing. You may not be able to sing, but in God's symphony, in God's chorus, you don't have to. Because he gives you the Holy Spirit to give you the, the words to say if you just make yourself available to him in your time and place. Yeah. It's because we are here to point to the world that there's a true God that's our king, and he is the one to worship. Look at verse six and uh, yeah, seven and following. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of earth, ascribe to the Lord glory to his name. Ascribe to the Lord uh, the glory to his name, excuse me. Bring an offering and come uh, into his courts. Worship the Lord and the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. We come as God's people to come to praise, to give him glory, to give him offering, because he is our holy God. And he is in the process of making us holy like him. We're not there yet. And next year you will not be there yet. But one day we will stand before Jesus. We will stand before the Lord because of his righteousness, the Lord's righteousness, and be holy before him, before him. We also worship him because he's our king. Look at verse 10 and following. Among, uh, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, he comes as the judge to the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. You know, we have, uh, we have a need to worship the king, a sovereign Lord, someone that is so much greater than we are, a sovereign Lord. You know, as Presbyterians, I think we have a lot on our fellow Christians. 
because we believe in a sovereign Lord. We, we believe in the king, guys. And we believe in King Jesus. Um, about 25 years ago, uh, a friend of mine worked for MTW, which is the PCA missions arm. And he was telling me this story. He said, uh, back in the 70s, a boy was, was born in Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, his parents tried to bring him up as a good Muslim should. But the boy refused. From early age, he refused to do any of the Muslim things you're supposed to do. In fact, he always sought out other books. And one day he found the Bible. At the age eight, he became a Christian. And later on, when he turned 18, he, he begged his parents, send me overseas to school. And they said, well, where do you want to go? He said, I want to go to South Korea. And that's a, that's a, that's a bit strong for a, a Turk to go to South Korea. They said, what do you want to do? I said, I, there's a, a place I'm real interested in studying over there. He didn't tell his uh, parents this, but it was a, a mission school, uh, college that was found by Presbyterians. Uh, back in the 1930s. And uh, uh, so he went overseas. And I, I got something to tell you, guys. Um, do you know there are more Korean Presbyterians than there are American Presbyterians? I went to school with a bunch of them. I know. And so a guy named Turgai went over there, got educated, went to seminary, and went home and decided he wanted to plant a church in Istanbul. And it is hard to plant a church in the Muslim country. Easier in Turkey than others, but it's very hard. And he brought to the, um, uh, he had to go see the Secretary of State of Turkey in order to get permission to start a church. And the, the secretary asked him, Turgai, what does your church believe? And he handed them the Westminster Confession of Faith. And the guy went home and read it that night. And the next day, he called Turgai up and said, said Turgai, you may start your church because these guys believe in predestination. And so do the Turks. So do we as Muslims. We, of course, they believe a little differently than we do. But to his eyes, it was the same. So suddenly this guy, Turgai, is able to plant a church in Istanbul where a church had not been planted for 30 years. And later on, the church grew, and Turgot said, I need some help. So he, got, he, he, he read about the denomination called PCA. So he gets on the plane, flies to Atlanta, and my friend who was in, at MTW said, he walks into the door and pronounces to, to MTW. He says, I'm here. My name is Turgot. I want you to help me plant churches in Turkey. When can we start? Well, everybody thought he was a loon until they, they looked him up. And he was, he was the real deal. And he said, he said guys, y'all believe in the sovereign God? Y'all believe in predestination? Come over here and help me convert these Turks. They're halfway there for us. And then they did. Even today, there's still church playing teams in Turkey. When that one boy that became a Christian at the time because he believed in a sovereign king, a ruler, just like the Turks did. You know, you know this, 
this Lord that we have, he's going to come and judge this world. One of the phrases I've always liked is out of the lion, witch, in the wardrobe. How many of y'all have read that book? Oh, oh, you're good Christians. All right, all right. Um, and it's a, it's a fabulous book. And uh, they're, they're sitting there, they're talking about Aslan, which is the lion in the story who is the Christ figure. And, <clears throat> and one of the girls in the story, I can't remember if it was Lucy or uh, Susan, asked about Aslan, that, that whether he was a safe lion. And the creatures looked at her and said, well, this lion is not safe. This lion is not safe, but he is good. And that's our Lord Jesus, guys. He's going to come judge the world. And he's, he can be a terrible lion. He can be a terrible judge. But guys, for us, we are safe. We're safe from that judgment that the Lord is going to bring. You know, you know, and we all have to serve somebody. We really do. Um, our our senior pastor, his favorite theologian is a guy named Bob Dylan. And um, and you know, Bob Dylan had a had a song, You Gotta Serve Somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but I will not sing God. Okay. But you gotta serve somebody. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I can do him a little bit, so but uh, but I won't hear. So uh but you know, we have to serve somebody, and we serve somebody by being the instruments of God. Instruments of God in his symphony, in his chorus. Seeing the gospel to the world around us. You see, if we believe that Jesus is the one and only Savior, that can only make us bold ambassadors and witnesses. Now, how do I apply all this? First of all, the message cannot be kept in these walls. It's worship is great. Seeing the music is great. Everything you do is great. But if it stays here, it doesn't reach the people that are starving. They're hungry for something of a significance in their lives. They're out there. They're out there. That's why I'm at Penn State. Do you know in our first Bible study that we had at Penn State, we had 40 people in the room. Guess how many of them had ever opened the Bible? None. Zero. Some of them have heard the name of Jesus, that Jesus was an American that came long ago, or something like that. Yeah. But uh, there was no one that had ever opened the Bible. And I have a privilege that every year of having at least 80 to 90% come to us that have never opened the Bible, know nothing of the gospel of Jesus. And what they do know is wrong. And we, we're now getting some Christians from Africa and stuff like that, but, but mainly it's still just unbelievers that come. And, and, you know, God has called me to go to this campus and bring that message to the people all over there. Secondly, we're to be revealers of false idols of the heart. You know, you, you have friends that have these false idols. Well, become a revealer to them. You know, witness, uh, you know, be a reflection of what a true Christian is. 
that believes in Jesus. Uh, show someone the worship of God and model it for them. Now, it's great that you're here this morning, but have you ever thought about just inviting somebody here? Just come, come to my church. You know, that's not because it's become. Uh, a, it used to be a vogue thing to do to invite people to church. It's not anymore. But you know, by by being here this morning, you're even the witness by being here. What's out in that parking lot? Your cars, right? If people know your car, what do they know? That you wear, your worship. Even your car is a witness of Jesus. Because you've chosen to be here on a Sunday morning. Uh, you know, I lived in the community that Sunday morning was a great golf morning for most of the men. And I also lived in the community that deer hunting was a great thing for the men. Until I convinced them that they could come to, uh, to Sunday morning worship in their camos. And they would that. It became a scandal some, somewhat, but, but after that. But they came to church. Just come to church. And lastly, join the symphony of the gospel, people. Um, you don't need to play our instrument. You just need to be a faithful servant of our Lord. Sit back. And like I did that first time I saw those people play, I was in wonder. And the people around you, when they truly see that witness, watch the wonder happen and watch Jesus work. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us your word. Uh, Lord, that you would change your heart. That, Lord, that you would help us to be instruments in your hands. For us in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.